everyone, Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Today, the cool kids are discussing leadership development programs with impact. Now, the last time we tackled leadership development, we talked about why leadership programs fail. Now, today we're going to flip the script and talk about this from a more positive perspective and talk about how to develop leaders to have real impact. Now, Andrew Jacobs, host of the Women Talking About Learning podcast and overall learning strategist, is going to join us today. Now, Andrew has shared many things with the Learning Rebels community, and this time he walks us through his leadership development model. So hold on to your hats, kids. It's going to be a live one. So the question on the table today is, When it comes to leadership development, how can we move from focusing on programs to focusing on people? So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, so here we are, another Learning Rebels coffee chat. And as I said in the email that went out to everybody, the last time we talked leadership, we talked about why leadership developments fail. And so I wanted to flip the script on that conversation and talk about leadership development from a more positive aspect and how we can create leadership with impact. And for that conversation, I know that Andrew has his model that he uses, and he's just such a wealth of knowledge and wisdom in this particular area that it seemed appropriate for our part two to have Andrew come on, share his model, share his thoughts, and also do a little, you know, ask me anything, a little AMA as it comes to leadership development and specifically around how can we develop leadership that really targets people and not programs? You know, oftentimes we think about leadership development, we automatically go into that program box. You know, that's not what leadership development is all about, right? Leadership development is all about people, not programs. So now how can we kind of rethink the way that we tackle leadership development, especially now in this different, I won't say new, because remote working is not a new concept, but it's different the way that we're handling it now. And so I think rethinking leadership to reflect this is going to be really important. All right. So Andrew, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. So Andrew, talk to me about where your mind was when you were thinking about your particular model when it comes to leadership development. How did you get there from here? Was there a certain pain point that bubbled up where you said, you know, we really need to rethink about leadership in an entirely different way. And I need to put something together that's going to help a business or help a client. How did you get there with your model? First of all, thank you for the invite, Shannon. I I really, really do appreciate it. And just having the opportunity to catch up with loads of people. There's people whose names I recognize and think, oh, I follow you. Oh, I know the stuff that you tweet about. And it's nice to suddenly see faces. Trish Ward is smiling, I can see. (laughs) He's making that. (laughs) And Dawn as well, because these are two people I definitely know that I've connected with in the past. So there we go. So yeah, thank you. So I looked at it from the other way around. So I was working in learning and development in a local government in the UK, you know, not federal government, more like state government within the states for where most of your audience are from. And this was in 2009. In 2010, there was a change in national government in the UK, and they brought in a, a period of austerity, effectively, where they took money out of many, many services, and local government was one of them. So my budget in learning and development was cut by 70%. My employee numbers stayed the same, but I had to take out 70% of the learning budget. So I was forced to have to think differently about how we needed to supply learning. And that drove loads of thoughts. And if I'd been sponsored for it, it would have been a brilliant master's paper. But that's driven effectively a whole host of ways that I think about doing learning differently. So I've put two or three slides together. I'd be happy to show them. But what it means is that it's not a supply model, it's a demand model, that we 
move from being shopkeepers to engineers in learning development. Too many people in learning development are a shopkeeper. Business comes to the learning function and says, we need a course, whatever that happens to be, or a program. And what we do is we go away and we take bits of different things and put them together and hand them over. So there you go. It's the course or the workshop or the program or whatever it is. That's a supply-led model. We're not doing a demand-led model and actually fundamentally finding out what the specific issues are. And to do that, learning has to operate slightly differently. And so that means not necessarily just looking at the way that learning does things, but seeing how the business does things. And that reaches into all aspects of learning development, but specifically topics around leadership. Right. And I especially appreciate that you picked out supply and demand as it pertains to leadership development, because we've all been in that position And I know I have, so I'll speak from personal experience, where a person within leadership comes to you, knocks on your door, hands you their favorite book and says, create a leadership program around this, right? And us not asking the why behind that or what's driving this or what's going to be the eventual outcome or the behavior change that's going to be around it is where we do ourselves a disservice copyright and plagiarism aside, (laughs) when we take information from books, that aside, is that we really don't dig deeper into what do we expect the behavioral outcomes to be. And so we pick from this list of communication skills or coaching or mentoring and all those common type of skills where tick, 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 and we're really not drawing the red thread, are we? So big problem we have with leadership development is fundamentally this issue here, which is what we do is we focus on this bit in the middle, which is ability. So someone comes to you and says, I want capability. I want to develop leadership capability within my organization. So capability is split into two parts. It's capacity, which as you can see on there, says the space to deliver, but it's also about ability, which is the skills to deliver. Now, capability is the power to deliver. And what happens is, is somebody comes along and says, we want to develop our leadership, but they don't give people capacity to do things differently. The only thing they say is, you need to develop our core competencies or skills or whatever the, the word happens to be you know, within your organization, behaviors or whatever we want to call it. But they don't want to change the capacity to enable people to do that either. And so consequently, we get pushed to develop skills, but they don't make any difference because fundamentally people haven't got the space in order to make those things happen. So when you're designing a program, you have to think differently about what else you need to factor into it. This is my five factors about performance change. And the first one has to be, well, what's the aims, the objectives, and the strategy behind why this leadership development is required? What is the pain point? What is the gap? What is the issue that you've got, which is affecting and creating the situation? Now, that's not the what's the aim of the program. That's the what is the pain point. And let's establish that first of all. Secondly, how much of that pain point is driven by the relationships and the structure within your organization? How much is driven within the relationships external to the organization, partnerships, etc.? And so can you as a learning professional do anything to impact that? Because this is the capacity piece that we should be asking the questions about. We need to look at the processes and the systems. Not so much an issue within leadership, but it can be limiting, particularly in areas such as compliance, finance, IT, those will have an impact on what leaders want to happen. So having conversations about what are the processes and systems that we need to change will create capacity in order for you to be able to change ability. Then you've got behaviors and skills, fairly obvious. But we should be reflecting, well, what are the behaviors and skills that are required as a consequence of the processes and system changing, the relationships and structure changing, plus the aims and the objectives and the strategy of what this performance gap happens to be? Unfortunately, lastly, the big circle around the outside is the culture. Nothing will change if the culture of the organization is not built to enable that to happen. So from a learning perspective, how are what you doing going to impact on the culture of the organization to accept that development of leadership? And this is great because we all know that culture will eat strategy for breakfast every day. That's why it's the biggest circle. The strategy is the aim, the target. I can come up with a strategy now. What's the aim for this call? Absolutely. Inform people. The culture of the call will stop it happening though. Right. What you're proposing then is the bigger the circle, the larger the impact. Absolutely. But you have to start with the aims and the strategy, objects and the strategy. That has to be the first thing because that will be the sponsor driver in order for this thing to happen. 
So be absolutely clear with the sponsor, what are they expecting as a result of it? So again, builds us into our evaluation piece, but what is their performance gap? If the performance gap is, I've read this book and nobody else has, that's a very different approach, exactly as you said before, from, well, we've got a problem of leadership. Well, what's, how is it demonstrating that problem of leadership? I guarantee you there will be behaviours and skills but it will also be a culture problem, a process and system problem, and a relationship and structural problem as well. Mm-hmm. I'm curious for you all listening right now is, how is this resonating with you? Does this sound familiar? Is this how you are thinking about leadership development within your organization? How is leadership development working for you right now? Anyone want to jump in and share your experiences? Jen, it's ridiculously close to home. (laughs) Jen, you want to share your thoughts on that? (laughs) We're in the process of this right now at my company. And I just sit here listening to you going, I don't know how many other times I've tried to say the exact same things over and over. You get that assignment of, hey, we really need to come up with a leadership development program. But if your culture doesn't support that, (laughs) and if you don't know when I ask, so what is it that you want them to, to gain? What are the objectives? What are the, just go do that. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) So it is, it's a huge struggle. I hate to say it, but I like to hear that I'm not the only one that goes through it. (laughs) I can't tell you how many organizations I've shown this slide to. I was in a session in Germany a couple of weeks ago, and I put this picture up and there was 90 odd people in the room and 70 of them all took a photo of it. It's like, you know, yeah, this is what's happening to us. All I'm doing is grandma and apple pie. This is what your business is like. And everyone goes, oh God, of course it is. But actually we don't change it because yeah, there we go. Definitely hits the nail on the head. (laughs) (laughs) And if the comments in the chat are any indicator, we're all on board here. We see this happening. We're experiencing this. This is absolutely a pain point. So now what? So you have to break these things down. So you have to be absolutely clear. You have to engage with somebody. So find a sponsor who is willing to support some of this stuff. So if it's somebody in IT who wants leadership, okay, so what's the issue that you've got going down? And ask them the questions. Is it a relationship and structural problem? Ask questions about how this is. And there will be behavior and skill elements within there. So don't dismiss those. So you will still do something, but you might be doing something slightly differently. But don't be afraid to ask people about the questions. How is the culture impacting on it? What can we do in order to change the nature of the culture? What are the relationships that are causing difficulty? How can I help you change those relationships? Is it structural change? Is it a process and system that has been introduced? So many new technology things. Great one. You know, it's a, you can apply this model to anything, by the way, you know, in terms of organizational performance change. Great one is the new technology. A new technology is put into an organization. And what happens? You end up where you've got an analog process and a digital process. Why? Because the culture is preventing some people from wanting to make that change. So is it around the system itself not doing the job that's needed? Is it people don't understand the benefit of it? Is it because people haven't been trained on it? It's about understanding the, that the culture will stop it happening. Now, if you want to make cultural change in a business, then absolutely you can do that, but you have to take all these other things into account. I want to just back up like five seconds where you said that this model can apply to anything. That was a really important point because I never thought of it that way. As I'm looking at this, I'm automatically in that leadership mindset. Yeah, when you think about other behaviors that need to be addressed within organizations, this model absolutely applies. You could do this on onboarding. What's the aim, strategy, and objective of onboarding? What relationships and structures does somebody need to understand? What are the processes and systems that somebody needs to know about within the organization? What skills and behavior? Now, in onboarding, that should be minimal because realistically, we are engaging people who have those skills because that's why we've recruited them. The most important one is the culture. So how do you fix that? So the learning functions get given onboarding when actually most learning functions don't need to be doing onboarding. Onboarding should be done by everybody else. Our job is to piece everything together so that everybody can understand it. EDI, what's your aims, objectives, and strategy around equality, diversity, and inclusion? What relationships and structural changes are there? What are the processes and systems that you've got around it? Is it about a training issue? No, most likely it is a cultural problem in your organization. You can apply these five across pretty much everything. Do you see that... If we were to, depending on what we're trying to achieve, as we've already said that these five circles, aims, objectives, and strategy, relationships, and structure, 
processes and systems, behavior and skills, and culture. So those five circles, do you think that they shift in size? So maybe culture becomes a larger circle than some of the others. Do you see this as being fluid? I think there is to a point. But what will happen is, is that there will be another issue that will come as a result of the culture change. So I worked in the banking industry for a while. There was a um, chief cashier in the bank who wanted everything done on paper, resistant to everything. You know, it was entirely cultural and everything was done in the way that she wanted things done. So we brought new technology in, but then her impact and her influence within the business, so it's this relationship and structural problem, then became different. So I got her on side and she was really able to help out with things. However, that then created other cultural challenges because all of a sudden, from her being everybody's friend from an employee side, now all of a sudden she was one of management friends. So how does that impact on the culture within that team, for example? So these will flex all the time, depending on what the issue happens to be. But from an L&D perspective, if you're a learning professional, focus on these five as your questions to start because this will then start uncovering what the problems are. And like I said, there will be behavior and skill issues that will come as a result of it. But don't assume that it's behavior and skills, first of all. Find out what the other things are first. And so would it be safe to say that we should work outside in? Or do these things work in tandem? I would always start with aims, objective, strategy. What is the point of this? Why do you want this thing? Mm-hmm. And ask that question. You have to start with that. Like you said, I can't remember who it was. Was it Dawn saying that, that you know, you've been asked about a, a leadership program? Why? What is the thing that has to happen? We want to change the culture. Okay, so why do you want to change the culture? And what is the impact in terms of metrics as to what that will look like? Tell me that. And then that gives me something to work from. You want to change the leadership. More than likely, you know, it will come about through some kind of critical incident. Somebody would have said something inappropriate. And so all of a sudden, EDI training comes in. People are regularly late for work. So all of a sudden, time management training right. comes in. Yeah. Managers aren't, aren't developing followership within their employees. They're not leading. They're not demonstrating leadership they're being managers so we want leadership training so how will we measure that what are your measures around what that will look like you know tell me what the problems Mm -hmm. are and they will fit into these buckets they will fit into each of these five buckets some of it will be they're not defining clear aims and objectives with people it might be that the managers themselves or the leaders are not being given clear aims and objectives for example is it to do with relationships, relationships with these leaders, with their teams, or the relationships with these leaders, with their managers? And how is that being undertaken? I was talking to an organization recently, and you know they've got this whole program for middle managers or this group of middle managers, but the senior managers don't do it. So what difference is it going to make? Right. And I think we've all been in those particular issues too, where we put together a program and middle managers go through that program and they're very enthusiastic. They're very excited to implement change or to be better at what they do. And then they go back to their day-to-day and their manager says, well, it doesn't matter what they told you here. This is what we do. The capacity, the space in order to deliver. You increase the ability, but you don't develop the capacity. Right. And so the other four circles outside of behavior and skills, these are the capacity elements. The aims, the objectives, the relationships, the processes, and the culture, that's the capacity for somebody to deliver. Steph, you've made a, a really great point in the chat. And do you want to expand on that? The company went through like a huge culture change, you know, top-down management change. It took a long time. But what was interesting is the approach was, okay, boom, here, we're doing it this way all of a sudden. And People don't respond to that. So we realize we need to take a step back and really have that good change management strategy in place. So like step by step, not expect change overnight. And once we made that realization, that really helped. It's a slow process, but it helped to get to where we are now. And it's having those change champions is what we call them who really are out there like promoting it, encouraging the change. And it has really made a big difference in, I think, getting the respect that L&D deserves because that seemed to be lacking as well. I mentioned last week or the other week when we were talking about books, there was a guy called Alf Rain and he came up with a phrase that I use all the time, which he calls it innovation theater. But I think it totally applies in in terms of change theater within organizations where you have to be really careful that change champions aren't just a totem 
for change in the organization where the senior managers can go, those are our people who do change for us. But then nothing changes. But if somebody comes along and asks, well, what are you doing about change? These are the people here. Those people can do it for us. So we have to be absolutely clear that we're not just doing change theatre. And there's a big problem with lots of leadership programmes is they are leadership development theatre. They're things that people can point to and go, look at this programme that we do. When you fundamentally start drilling down through it, they're not making any difference. Favourite example is stuff like programmes for women or for people of colour. All right, so let's have a look at the data that sits behind it. And you're bang on here, Steph. You're absolutely spot on. What difference does it make? If you've not shifted the number of women in senior roles within your organisation or within management roles, then your programmes aren't doing anything. If you've not shifted the number of BAME employees within your organisation over a period of one, two, three, four, five years, you're not making any difference at all. And we have to make sure we're avoiding just theatre and just creating this theatre around it. I love that. Change theater, leadership theater, that's a perfect way to describe a lot of what we do. When we put these programs together, they don't come from a place of malice. Nobody's trying to do badly. We really want things to improve, but sometimes we're just stuck in putting something out because, quote unquote, it's the right thing to do. Or, quote unquote, because they, whoever they are, they need it. And we're really not thinking of that cause and effect about the behavior change. Now, my question to you, Andrew, is where does change management fit into this? Because regardless of what we're doing, be it onboarding leadership development or what have you, It's all about change management. Something has to change or else why are we doing it? So where does change fit into this? You'll notice this slide is titled Five Factors Creating Performance Change. Yes. Because this is about change. The whole thing is about change. I would argue that any program is about change because if it's not about change, you're not looking at changing anything, then why are you doing it? Because otherwise all you're doing is just creating theatre. The other problem we have with change, I'll show you the next slide that I've got on my list here, is the power of what we want to change. So these are the three areas that people tend to want to change within leadership. So they want to change the nature of the people, the people relationships. They want to change the nature of the individual, or they want to change the nature of the process. Now, from an L&D perspective, how do we impact across each of these three? Process stuff, yeah, give us that all day. Yeah, we're happy to do that. But people in personal, they're a bit untidy. They're a bit messy. And we can do stuff to support the ability of them. But actually, what people want is the capacity for them, which is why the design piece has to be about the whole change and all of those other areas. I love the three Ps. I use these all the time. You can pin every skill down to one of these three Ps. You're spot on with this. I mean, give us a process all day long. We can impact a process. But we design around that process as well. So what we do is we design a leadership program, which is a process, which is you will do this online learning and then you will do this group activity and then you will do this activity independently and then you will do this reading and then you do this assessment and then you do this online activity, et cetera. And we build it as a process when actually most people don't want the process change. What they want is the people change or the personal change. Now, the people change we can impact on because it's external, but the personal change, that's driven by the individual. Do I want to and have I got the resilience to do it? Now, we can help people build the resilience to do it, but there's no point building that in as a process, which is what we do. I was on a leadership program, brilliant program. Everybody told me, but I went on to this program and I had a one-to-one with somebody. And it was like, no, we can't talk about some of those things in the one-to-one. Yeah, like the external coach. No, 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 because it has to be built around this box, which is what the organization expected. Right. We put those parameters around... Our development programs, I think we do that unconsciously almost sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So what tends to happen is is we have a supply mindset, as I've spoken before. We're focused on behavior and skills. We want to build a process around things. So what we do in learning development is we fall absolutely completely into the middle box out of these three. The middle box out of these three is acquisition, where we tell people how to be a good leader. We show them all the books about what good leadership is like. We give them all the information. We give them the Tuckman model. We give them X, Y. We show them all of the leadership ways of behaving. And then we try and create space for them to do it. But because they haven't been given capacity within the workplace to do it, they can't apply it. 
for the people uh, listening, application is about creating opportunity for existing knowledge to be demonstrated. So giving people the capacity in order to make this happen. Or even worse, we have people who already know this stuff, but they've just forgotten it. They just were unaware of it. And what we need to do is to help raise that awareness and learning. We fall into an acquisition mindset too often. Supply side acquisition, people need to learn it. When realistically, most people need awareness or application. And this is where the nature of the learning function has to change because we should be designing for application. And we can design for application if we focus on people and personal skills and we focus on the other four areas around change. Welcome to my head, everybody. (laughs) It's a wonderful head. I'm loving how each of these areas connect. So in the previous slide where you talked about people, personal and process, And I like the arrow that goes across it because it does connect people, personal and process, especially when you're thinking about leadership development. And I had not overtly thought about leadership development as a process. It absolutely is. Thank you for that reminder. And so I see these three P's falling neatly into the slides you showed next. So those three P's connect with these three A's. So these three A's being awareness, acquisition, and application. So I see neatly how these two areas fall together when you're thinking about moving forward your leadership development and really thinking about leadership development as it works with impact. And they work across each other. So you say to someone, okay, so what's the issue that you've got? Well, actually, I've seen him leader from another organization. I come to join this organization. Okay, so what you need is process because we've obviously recruited you because of those skills and you probably need to acquire them. So you need to know what the specific process is in our organization. However, if I'm new to leadership, then actually what I need is people and personal skills. Probably it's personal. And actually, it's going to be an application activity where I get to practice and do things and try them and see what works and see what doesn't, and then do a bit of reflection and and so on. And then maybe need some acquisition, but the demands are going to be entirely different. Unfortunately, what we do is we put all those people on the same program, and then we expect it to work. And guess what? It doesn't, because everyone has a different reason for being there. So this is in relation to the topic that was discussed earlier with the circles and how culture is really the outer item Even in how we work within our own immediate team, I can see this absolutely resonating because within an L&D, the desire to help clients and customers, either external or internal, we need to know what are their aims, objectives, and strategies. However, how we, as Andrew ended up saying, culture will eat all of this. So when I came into the organization in which I'm at, it really used to be we were like waiters. Um, Even though there was all of this expertise as consultants, there was really a mindset that the customer knows best. However, after joining the team and being a squeaky wheel for a while and helping the team work through with clients, discovering what their five whys are or getting to the root cause analysis, we came to the epiphany that a lot of our clients and customers have an inkling. So if we take like the medical model, they see a symptom, but they don't know the underlying cause. So I've seen a lot of L&D and I've heard that this is really rampant internal L&D is, is that they prescribe before they actually diagnose because they have that perception that, well, they know what they want. So therefore we need to help them. Yes and no. This is where that intake is necessary. This is where that scoping is necessary. But the only way you can get to that point is if you've changed your immediate team culture to say, hey, we have got this skill set that we can ask customers, what are cues that you're seeing that's saying that this is really a need? And then if you hear the same name keeping popping up within the team, they're trying to band-aid that it's a quote-unquote team development when it is really more a one-on-one coaching opportunity that a lot of supervisors have a fear of needing to address a performance management issue or needing to go into more of a labor relations-based item. So I really see this also just kind of going really on how do we actually do our own work, either if you're a private or if you do it in-house. Because I know for a lot of us that may be working for a corporation or an agency in-house, 
there's the misperception that, well, our externals have got more credentials. They're more skilled. Not necessarily. There's a lot of people that that are independents that go back into the private sector for an employer because they want a steady paycheck versus leaving it going out of house. So it's just, it's... You're absolutely bang on. A lot of people will do the external stuff because they don't have to mess with the culture. So I can go into an organization if I want to, and I can come up with all these wonderful things, you know, like you're saying, Amanda, come up with all these ideas and stuff, but I'm not impacting the culture because I don't understand the culture. Whereas actually people in the organization understand the culture. You're absolutely spot on. You understand the culture that's there. So you're the best people to be placed to do some of this stuff. And Jen, I see your comment here about consultation and communication skills are a need to have skill for L&D so we can truly understand the needs before moving forward. And I think that we, we will all agree with that. Oftentimes, I don't think we use those skills to our advantage, especially when we're talking about programs like leadership development, because there's a tie, obviously, with leadership. And so sometimes having crucial and critical conversations with leadership about, is this a one-on-one coaching issue or is this something that should be attributed to a leadership development? Those are hard conversations to have. So Andrew, I'm curious. So when we are talking with leadership about leadership development, where do we start? I don't think we can exist on the models we've always had. I think that's part of the problem. There's so much stuff has changed in the last two, three, five years, in the last six months, you know, since we've gone back now to working back in the workplace or in some places we have. So the next slide I've got is this one here. This is content expectations have shifted. So we're in a really interesting place now. And what we used to deliver in learning was just in case learning. We've delivered leadership learning just in case there was a problem later. And we could go back to that person and go, uh, well, you were trained on this. So the fact that things have gone bad is it's your fault, not our fault. It was about awareness, it was about mandation, it was about compliance and making sure that we did it just in case. And there's a whole learning theatre piece that sits under that. And we moved from just-in-case learning to just-in-time learning. And just-in-time learning came about technologically, the use of mobile much more than we are now. And just-in-time is, okay, so when you have a problem, it's a much quicker issue. So it's a much quicker problem that we've had. So because the problem's quicker, we're expected to deliver quicker. So digital, mobile, platform-based, read this article, this excerpt, listen to this little bit here, and that will be available to you in order to help you change stuff. You're hearing your senior managers who are saying to you stuff like, for example, exactly as we said, just in time. So I saw this really, really good book. I think everybody should do it. That's not just in case, that's a just in time one, because it's still valid in my mind, and so everybody else needs to get that. Now we move from just in time learning to just for me learning. So just for me learning was about I want to pick and choose the things that I will learn about. And that puts a sheen of self-direction. But we need to be really clear that actually what we need to be designing for is self-determination. And there's a difference between the two. Self-determination is for an individual to pick and choose the things that they want in order to develop, whereas self-direction is just choosing the things in an order that we have already supplied. Now, if we go down the route of supply, which is what we have done in the past, we give this sheen of personalization by saying there's all these individual bits and you can choose the order, but you still need to do them all. Now, what's happened because of the pandemic is we've now moved to a just enough mentality. Whoever goes on a course now to learn about Microsoft Excel? I know I don't. If I want to look up pivot tables, I'll go YouTube, pivot table, and it will show me how to do it. And it's even got to the point now where Google will now deliver the result to me and say, you want to start this video from four minutes, 20 seconds and it will then start playing it. So we've moved to this chunked, self-directed, available anytime, anywhere, any place, minimal amount. So if we're doing that in terms of content and these expectations of shift for all these other things, why aren't we doing that for our leadership? And that's the question that I would be asking. So I would be saying to my leaders, okay, so you want to develop leadership skills. What is just enough information? What is, needs to be personalized that people need to choose? What is just in time in terms of what is required for your aims, your objectives, your targets, your timelines, your milestones? And then we will bed it out with what the minimum just-in-case element would be. So I would be designing from right to left on this slide, not from left to right. 
And traditionally, we design from left to right. What we also do, and what our learning suppliers do, is our suppliers deliver from left to right as well. You go to all the content houses, they will deliver just-in-case, just-in-time learning, and we'll put an air of personalization on it by picking and choosing. But very few of them will work to a just-enough model. There we go. That's how I would approach it, Shannon. I am just absorbing everything that you just said because I hadn't thought about it like this before. And I love having those moments of epiphany, you know, where I'm almost speechless, but I can't be speechless because I got to keep the conversation going. (laughs) And so my brain is just going, boom, I can relate to what you're talking about. So let me ask a clarifying question, if I may. Would you please help me understand, once again, the difference between self-determined and self-directed? Think of it as painting. Do you remember years ago, there were painting by numbers kits? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a painting yes. by numbers kit, one is blue, two is red, three is green. That is self-directed. I get to choose the colors in the order that they are there. However, that's not painting. That's self-directed. Self-determination would be, here's some paint, here's a frame, you decide what you want to paint and the order you want to do it in and the colors that you choose. And what we do in learning development is we develop painting by numbers and we say it's painting when it's not. What it is, it's filling in things in a specific order. That's the difference between self-direction and self-determination. Wow, that's outstanding. And I, I love this graphic here where we talk about moving from right to left. So thinking about just enough to just for me, just in time, and then just in case, rather than the other way around. Because you're right. I think inherently we've trained ourselves through the years to think from starting with the just in case and moving to the just enough. I think that that is common practice for what we're doing. And I think reimagining that from the opposite direction really does shed a new light and changes the perspective of how you look at leadership development. So I'm curious, anyone, questions, thoughts that haven't been exposed or haven't been placed in the chat, what questions did this conversation give you? I'm really intrigued by the last slide and that move from right to left. So working with just enough and going down to just in case. And I particularly like that idea around compliance training being the just in case piece. What I'm curious about using the paint by numbers analogy is we give them a canvas, we give them the paint, we say, just freestyle it, you know. But actually, we do still require managers to have enough self-awareness, for example, of how they're impacting on the team, the the way that their behaviours can build a culture. How would we reconcile the two if we're just giving them the paints and the canvas? Okay, so it's down to specification and how much you over-specify. So in terms of specification, what I would be saying is the organisation says you need to paint a two-storey house with a garage and a garden. And those are the rules that the organization expects. But what the organization does says the door must be blue. You must have yellow curtains in the windows. You're only allowed to make a garden a certain size, etc. And so it's actually, this is why the five circles is so important. Well, actually, what are you giving people capacity to do? So how much capacity are you building within that painting? How big is the canvas? Are you specifying that it must be a size of A4 or it can be a size of A1? That's the thing. And that's where it's about understanding what the sponsor wants. So how much capacity? And this is where you can start pushing the culture. This is where you can start challenging things. And you can go, well, no, you didn't specify that the curtains couldn't be yellow. And they've done yellow with green spots on them. But look, isn't it interesting? Yeah, you didn't say that they couldn't give people a Friday afternoon off, but look at the increased performance that's coming as a result of it. Yeah, so you're in a position to leverage building the opportunity for people to be fluid and flexibility in how they apply the stuff. And that's what matters. So it's don't over-specify. And this could be a case of doing little things, right? So let's try little movements rather than trying to impose big boundaries or big, large programs. It's let's try something small to move the cultural needle, right? And if that works, great. Let's build on that 
and see if we can move the cultural needle a little bit further and a little bit further, right? Because I think sometimes we think so large, we build this leadership university that takes six weeks and 12 volumes and 10 cohorts and, you know, and we try to make all of that work rather than starting smaller and seeing how that fits within the culture. Give an example of something that I'm doing at the moment. So it's an organization at the moment who wants to develop some particular skills. And what we're not doing is we're not building learning. What we're doing is we're going to go and record some podcasts and one manager is going to interview another manager and then number two will interview number three, number three will interview number four, et cetera. We will end up with a series of podcasts. Now, when we publish those podcasts, we'll put the first one out, and then we're going to have an Ask Me Anything session the week after, where anybody in the organization can ask manager two, who was being interviewed, well, actually, you said this, 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 and that. What did you mean by that? So you're getting to the heart of how the leadership think. And then we will put number two out, and number two will have been interviewed number three. And so manager number three is up for an ask me anything where they will be challenged over everything that they've been said now what you've got is authenticity you're doing something which is just enough or it's just for me it could be personalized i can pick and choose just in time you've got something there which subscribes to all of these there's a just in case element insofar as the organization they run the edit and or you know they listen to it before it's published and so on so they're making sure they it's the wider compliance but you're doing something that's totally different it's a leadership development program that is not about sitting in a classroom. It's a leadership development program where you're connecting people on their people skills, challenging them personally about resilience, two of the threes. Right, and that, that's exactly where we started, wasn't it? Is how can, how can we create leadership development that focuses on people rather than programs? Absolutely. Right, and so that's a very nice loop-in And Don, at the beginning of this, you expressed that this was a timely conversation. So I'm interested to hear from you now as to, you know, what thoughts are you having? What questions might you have around what we're discussing? Yeah, one, I really appreciate the idea that you brought up the meaning of that it's a focus on people and not programs because we don't have programs, but it was a confirmation that we do focus on people. So there's a lot that we are doing really well and in my first two interviews, that was a huge part of the conversation and the questions was about the people that I would be supporting, the executives that I would be supporting. I really liked the circles. I think that's a really nice framework for as we are looking at providing that support and those consulting services of kind of the areas to to assess. Because I think we've got some gaps where We've got some aims and objectives. We've got some cultural things that we are addressing, but I think we've got some gaps in relationships and structure and, and in processes and systems. And Because people don't want to talk about that stuff. This is why they're giving it to the learning function to deal with. <laughs> Charles Jennings, he didn't come up with it, but there's a phrase, the conspiracy of convenience, where the business says there's a problem and they hand it over to the learning function. The learning function delivers something. And then people do the thing that learning's delivered. But it's a conspiracy of convenience because nothing changes. And the reason being is because it wasn't a skill issue. It was a relationship and structure issue. But we can seem to do some learning theater as if we've done the thing. Right. You know, we did the program, but nothing changed because actually, fundamentally, it's an issue with the relationships within the business. Exactly that. Sorry, Donna. Cut across you. It's just, yeah. As you're saying, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm just thinking of it like a like a major challenge and issue that our industry is experiencing and looking at this and knowing that relationships and behavior are are part of what is keeping us from risk taking. We have people that the ones who at the end of the day have the official authority to do something different are scared to step out and take the big risk. And so looking at this you know, it helps identify what are some other ways that we need to be looking at it? What are some other ways that we need to be supporting them to move them to a point where they are comfortable taking a big risk? Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Don. I'm glad that you feel like you're headed in the right direction, you know, so that's always nice to know, right? To have that sort of confirmation that says, I think that we're headed in the right direction. Wasn't sure, but now I feel good about you know, the foundation that we're laying. And I think that that's a positive thing. Jason, I haven't heard from you today. I know. (laughs) No, you're right, Shannon. (laughs) Yeah, you're right, Shannon. (laughs) This 
circle right here that Andrew put up, it's totally ringing for me. I've had this conversation three times this week about how the culture of our company is prohibiting things from happening. Engineering and construction company. So there's a lot of health and safety issues happening. And it's like, we need to change. And what in their culture is preventing this from actually happening and getting the the people to do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So you've picked out something really interesting there, Jason. There's health and safety. It goes as just-in-case learning. That's it. And because of that, that in absolutely seeps through the culture of the organization where everything is just in case and so everything is built in in that space so yeah absolutely bang on with that one so jason what we're talking about here today was any of this or is any of this going to be helpful for you to continue conversations with your business oh yeah absolutely we were going down this path of developing a new leadership development program And we kind of stopped because we started asking questions about the culture and about what really is the purpose of what we're doing. And we kind of hit a wall. It's like, wait, our CEO is going to retire in like two years. And we're going to have a brand new person come in. The whole different mindset of things. So let's take a step back and really just start having more and more conversations about it. And what do we need to do? Change the culture so that we can build the capacity for people to do this so people feel comfortable making these changes. Excellent. I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. What I'd like to know is, as we start to close up, because we are almost at the top of the hour, how time flies when we're just having such great conversations, what I'd like to know from you is anyone who hasn't spoken up, you can feel free to open up your mics now. What I'd love to know is, out of this conversation today, where are you going to take this? You know, what's your next step? What are you going to do with this information that Andrew has shared with us today? This has been a great conversation, and I love all of the different slides that Andrew shared with us. I think where I'm struggling right now is that with our culture, our company culture, they are really, you know, open and and providing capacity for um, development and learning. But my internal customers, some of them struggle with providing that capacity to allow their folks to do it. So it's working with the company culture, but then also working with the internal customer culture to make sure that I'm able to have these types of conversations with them and say what's important here and what really matters to you. But I, I love the framework because I think it works for, as everybody was saying, kind of all stages, all you know, different areas. So it's very helpful. I've just put another slide up, Courtney, which might be useful for you. So this is the four factors that limit innovation. So this is from Roger's diffusion of innovation and so on. And there were four reasons why people will tell you they can't do it. And the first one is lateral. You can't do something different because nobody else is doing it differently. And they want to do the same as everybody else. So if you start having these conversations, you need to find someone who is doing stuff differently. Okay, again, you want to quote me, that's no problem. The second reason is temporal, where they'll say it's the wrong time to do this stuff differently. So all you do is you go, well, when is right? So when is the right time for us to do things differently? The third reason is physical, which is that you will have training rooms for training you will have suppliers whose job is to deliver content or whatever the thing happens to be. And because there's a physical investment that's taken place, you can't change outside of that physical investment. And the last one is hierarchical. And that is purely because someone doesn't like it. (laughs) So you have to find the people who have got influence in the organization. Julian Stodd is brilliant on this stuff. He talks about social authority, not hierarchical authority. Who are the people who can help influence it? That's great. Thank you so much. Yes, that's very helpful. Very helpful. And I love what I'm seeing here in the chat as well. Donna, you got a couple of parting words for us here to build on what you said in the chat? About the personal culture and institutional culture. I mean, you can have the organizational space, but if the personal culture, it just needs to be looked at as well, because some people will have hangups about stuff or a misunderstanding or how do we best practices to reach the personal culture as well. I've got a whole piece around that, Donna, as well, to do with skill, will, authority, and resource. Yeah. So where it fails, and there's also a whole piece around literacy as well, which is can, can't, will, won't, have, haven't, should, shouldn't. There's a whole piece around that as well. So again, happy to talk about that as well, you know, if you want some more information on it. 
Well, Andrew is just a wealth of information. And Andrew, I thank you for joining us today and just emptying your brain on our plates. It's been a energizing experience. It really has helped me think differently about where leadership development is going, where it needs to go, especially now as we think about the differences in the workplace that we have today. It's critical that we think about leadership differently because how we lead people is absolutely different than it was 24 months ago, that short of a period of time. So it's really important that we take the information that we've gotten here today and apply that and meld that into what you're currently doing. So thank you, Andrew. And you can follow Andrew if you're on Twitter. You can follow Andrew. Andrew is at Andrew Jacobs L-N-D. L-N is in Nancy D. So you can find him on Twitter there. Of course, he's on LinkedIn. And wealth of information to share. So thank you, everybody. And I hope you have a great weekend planned. Anybody doing anything exciting, barbecuing, enjoying the warm weather? What are y'all doing? Getting my car washed because it badly needs it. I'm getting my floors done. So I'm super excited by that. Yay. That's exciting. I have my first national presentation in San Antonio in another week, and I'm not quite done with my slides. So I'm just going to fret and do slides all weekend. That's my plan. All right. Well, congratulations to you. I know you, Jill, hit it out of the park. Laura, you guys just wrapped up, and Andrew, you guys just wrapped up the queen doing her thing over there, right? So are you just recuperating from the Jubilee? No, I'm recuperating from COVID, actually. So, <laughs> so I spent the whole Jubilee cancelling plans, but sitting on the sofa, eating grapes and basically watching the pageantry and feeling really rather patriotic. <laughs> sitting on the sofa, eating grapes. <laughs> I, I was trying to play catch up because um, I was over in uh, Germany last week talking about evaluation and data and how to evaluate learning and development differently effectively again yeah i've got a whole piece together on that we can do that at some point if you're going to learning 2022 in florida thank you everyone for hanging with us for another learning rebels coffee chat I just don't know where to start with our wrap-up today. This was certainly a thought-provoking conversation. Andrew's principles really helped to reframe and reimagine how we think about leadership development in this modern workplace. And I think the most important takeaway was really Andrew's five factors of creating performance change. You know, we all know that culture will eat strategy for breakfast every day of the week. So it's important that with any leadership development program, we start with culture. So while culture change is not necessarily an L&D initiative, there are ways that we can influence and impact change. But mostly it starts by having a difficult conversation with leadership about whether or not your organization is ready to support capability change. Remember, capacity plus ability equals capability. And the five factors plus the supporting principles that Andrew discussed along with all of the other resources can be found in the show notes below. And while you're there, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Now, you want to join the live conversation, and you know you do, go on over to learningrebels.com and sign up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.